Hi there, I'm Morgan Hewitt, and this is Find Your Niche. I am so excited to introduce our guest this week. With the lack of flexibility in maternity leave after having her first child at her job at Postmates, Brooke decided to step away and start freelancing, which is when she had her idea for her company, Alloby. Alloby is a unique platform that is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs that are in need of some business support services such as bookkeeping, web development, social media, and many more. Brooke Markovicius dreamt big and brought her vision to life even after some iterations of her original idea. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, I kind of want to start with your background, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. I'm an open okay, book, so ask <laughs> Perfect. Okay, where did you, where are you originally from? Yes, I'm actually originally from North Carolina. So I was born in, um, in Winston-Salem area in King. And then uh, my dad is a pastor. And so we lived kind of all over the state, um, but mostly lived in Raleigh growing up. Um, I lived in Oakwood, right downtown, um, for like 13 years of my life. We lived right on Bloodworth Street. So um, downtown Raleigh is a special place for all of us, uh, my family, and my best friend from growing up still lives in Oakwood. She moved away for years and came back, but we still spend a lot of time there. So that is where I originally grew up. And then my parents lived in Durham for a few years while I was in college. And I just loved Durham and knew that I wanted to come back here um, one day. So when we got the opportunity, it was uh, an easy sell for everybody in our family. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Where did you attend college? Yeah, I went to App State actually. So um, we were living when I was 13, we moved outside of Buffalo, New York um, for my dad's job and lived there from eighth grade until graduating college or graduating high school. But I knew that I wanted to come back to North Carolina to go to school and at the time I wanted to be a teacher. So uh, App State has a great program for education. So I graduated with a undergrad in history for secondary education and quickly learned during student teaching that I didn't really want to be a teacher. <laughs> so um, decided not to do that and actually went into nonprofit work for a few years um, before making the big switch to tech later on. When you went into nonprofit, what what was your job title? Yeah, so interesting enough, I graduated in 2008 during the recession. Oh. They weren't even hiring teachers, really. And so I knew that, okay, this is like an odd time to graduate, a little bit weird. Um, none of my friends were getting jobs really at all. And so um, my dad found this opportunity to do um, kind of mission work slash very much in social justice focus. Um, with an organization called US2 Missionaries that is with the United Methodist Church. It's since changed a little bit, but Mm -hmm. um, it was a great opportunity, like 15 of us from all across the country coming together. We trained and learned about the areas that we were going to go into all over the country and the nonprofits we were going to work with, um, but got to know each other too and uh, trained in New York City. So that was really fun to be in New York for a summer. 
Um, and then we all got sent out to our respective locations. So I went from North Carolina all the way to the Midwest, um, outside of Chicago and Champaign, Urbana, Illinois, in the middle of cornfields and literally knew no one and didn't have a car in a oh, not very transportation focused uh, city. <laughs> so it was a whole new world. So I, um, went and everybody's title was different depending on where you were placed, but I was placed at a children's home for kids with extreme behavior uh, issues. And since I had an education degree, um, that was kind of where I got placed, but I worked with their chaplain and their um, teams and all of their different, uh, it was a residential facility. So Mm -hmm. kids were living there. So I did a little bit of everything while I was there. Um, But it was one of the best experiences of my life because it was just so hard and out there during your first job out of college that it was not your traditional job. I mm-hmm. wasn't really making an actual salary. Like they had housing for me. Um, I was completely on my own, you know, bazillions of miles away from my family, no car. Like it was a really interesting experience. And one that I feel like taught me a ton about myself during that time. Yeah, that sounds so unique. Very extreme. It was, yes. (laughs) I like, you know, I like the mission, though, that they were doing, bringing you together, training, and then sending you to it. What fit best for you, um, it seemed, with your background in education. Yeah. I really want to normalize the pivots that many people experience in their career journey. I feel like so many women, so many young adults feel that they have to be in the right career right away. You know, like they're not going to switch jobs or anything. And and it has to be like at a perfect age, you know, it has to be planned out. You know, can you speak about some of your pivots that you've experienced? Oh, yes. I will say I am deaf. I'm sure in my family probably was like, maybe even until this last year, we're like, what is Brooke really doing with her life? Like, what is she doing? I, one of um, my uh, a connection I have on um, Mickey Agrawal, she's a um, entrepreneur and has started a few companies, but in a book that she wrote, she talks about connecting the dots and how she mm-hmm. didn't realize for so long that all these random pivots and changes and jobs and all of this stuff um, in her life actually all work together to really lead her to where she she is today. And I really believe that every job I've had from working at that nonprofit with extreme behavior children to then after that, I got a job uh, in the same town um, working at the Center for Women in Transition, working with women that were dealing with domestic violence and also dealing with um, homelessness. And then I will go into more of kind of where I pivoted after that, but it truly all of those things have helped me. I gain from them daily. Like even back the, Mm -hmm. you know, crisis, dealing with crisis constantly in nonprofit world. So not only like, do we have enough finances to, you know, pay for all of the bills there, but also dealing with women that were coming in with domestic violence crisis and women that needed housing. Like we had to find housing for them that night for their children and immediate things that we had to do and being able to handle that 
massive pressure at a young age too in my career. Um, I feel like honestly prepared me so much for being a, a founder of a company because it's a lot of people looking to you and needing to, you know, needing you for everything and coming to you also for motherhood, the children need you for everything. So I really believe all of those pivots have kind of shaped my career of where I am now. And I, I don't think I was ever meant to be one of those like nine to five career for 20 something years. It just, it wasn't for me. And I never felt like anything was sticking. Um, And I felt like a failure for that in many parts of my life, because that's what society tells you is you should go get a career and stick with it and move your way up that, that ladder. Um, And I don't think you learn a lot from that either. And um, we work with a lot of different types of clients at Alibi. And I see our corporate clients that have no idea how to like actually have people work for them because they're so used to it just already being given to them in corporate America. And just the, the things that I've learned and taught myself along the way have been extremely beneficial to where I am today. And I I'm 35 and I, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had like done this when I was 25, but I didn't know that path. Like my parents weren't entrepreneurs. They didn't have a business. I had no idea what that looked like. My mom's a teacher. My dad's a preacher. Like that was my worldview. And I think as much as I'm like super gung-ho about like girls, women learning tech and all of that, I more so just want people to see that you don't have to go down a certain path and stay on it forever. I love hearing about people shifting their career when they're 50 and like just going in a different direction um, because it gets boring at the same thing forever. (laughs) I couldn't imagine, you know, (laughs) did you experience any burnout? in maybe any of your past careers? Yeah. Like, I mean, it sounds intense working in the social community aspect of your early beginnings. Yeah. Really my burnout led to my major pivot and shift into tech because when I was working in nonprofit, when I had gone to work at this um, domestic violence shelter, I moved up really quickly. I actually went from being just a um, like running a bunch of the cases and helping with, uh, some of the grant writing to moving straight into being the manager of the whole, um, domestic violence shelter. And that was a great experience, but it was super burnout. I was like, I cannot do this and lead the life that like I want to long-term. Um, and right about that time I met my now husband and he was in going into tech, Um, He had been in the Air Force for years and then went back and got his um, undergrad at U of I. And I was like, man, what is this tech? Like, let me look into it more. And I just saw just the amount of good that it could do in the world if it was used correctly. And um, he actually had gotten a job at Microsoft. And so I was watching some of his like initial uh, intake stuff. And there was this great video about how Microsoft was working in third world countries and um, low income communities in the States too, and helping to get people job skills. And I was like, oh man, like this is something I would like to be a part of. Um, And so kind of on a whim, I applied for grad school at Boston University um, to get my master's in computer information systems with a focus in web development and went for it. And it was a total complete career shift and one that Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I did. What was your first career 
position after getting that degree and shifting into tech? Yeah. So I literally graduated and got a job at Postmates, um, working in their operations and product. And it, I knew I wanted to work in startups because I, I love just that early stage, you know, really getting uh, gritty and your hands dirty. Yeah. And um, I wanted to also be able to experience a company growing because during grad school, um, I really liked all of my classes that were focused on like agile development and quick and fast, efficient. Um, and I had gotten to be mentored and speak to a lot of people that were working in startups. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, I didn't want to go into a very corporate tech environment and, and all of that. So went into it, loved it. And then I got pregnant. And I have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I thought it was going to take us a long time to have a baby. Not the case. Um, and so I was pregnant and I had my daughter and I went back to work and really quickly um, didn't have really any maternity leave um, except for short-term disability, which when tech companies are founded by a lot of males, they don't take that into consideration. Um, and so went back to work, was like pumping in the bathroom and miserable. And I loved what I was doing, but it wasn't flexible for the life that I wanted to have too. And so I quit and started freelancing for about four years. And so my quick shift into tech took me right back out of it in the, in the traditional way. Um, but I did web design and development uh, and a bunch of like tech coaching for um, small businesses and startups for the next five years after that. And how were you finding those freelance ex uh, job opportunities for those yeah. five years? So I totally stumbled into freelancing. I really quit my job at Postmates and was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I can't do this. And probably I should have thought a little bit more into it. I was really <laughs> privileged and lucky that my husband had a, a good job at the time. So I was able to, um, if we took my daughter out of childcare, since it's pretty expensive. And so I just started freelancing around, you know, her schedule started with one client who I did a good job with that then referred to another, uh, client and that series of referrals kept going. And I kind of found my sweet spot of, working with early stage female founders that were wanting to get their MVPs out into the world and needed a fast and efficient person that knew tech and they did it to get it out mm -hmm. there. Um, so partnered with a lot of non-technical founders to get stuff um, out into the world. And then a lot of small business owners. So a lot of nonprofits that were looking for work. I knew that everybody's nonprofit website sucks. And so I was like, okay, let me just reach out to some of these nonprofits, some churches, who can I help um, support and get more things for my portfolio? And it just kept growing. Um, yeah. and then I started outsourcing to, uh, and building a team and had that going on, um, at the same time. And honestly, like, I mean, I could have kept going with that and kept a really great, um, career going, but I, I got bored in some capacity, which is funny. Cause I was like totally busy with tons of projects. <laughs> that's kind of the entrepreneur thing. You're going to find something else you want to, you want to pivot to and do. Mm -hmm. And that's when one of my friends approached me, I was recently pregnant with my second and she's like, Hey, do you want to start a co-working space with me? And why not? You know, why, why, why say no to cool endeavors? I wanted a space that 
was more family friendly. Um, and mm-hmm. that I could go to as a freelancer and pop into without having to get outside childcare to go and work. Um, and so we, I helped to co-found a co-working space called the pod works that's in Tacoma, Washington. So when we were living out on the West coast and it was wonderful and everything that um, I wanted, but I quickly learned that a brick and mortar was not my cup of tea and <laughs> what I wanted to do and really miss the the tech side of things. And so that's really what kind of set up for the pivot that was to uh, Allobee today. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back just for a minute. Yeah. How long were you working with Postmates? Yes, for about a year. So I was working there for about a year. And um, actually, ironically, one of my former co-workers at Postmates. It's it's funny. A lot of us like stayed in touch during that time. Three of us mm-hmm. got pregnant right about the same time, all quit at the same time, all started companies eventually. Wow. Sarah Moskoff from Winnie. Uh, it's a company out on the West Coast uh, that focuses on childcare. Um, mm-hmm. Her and her co-founder were both working there at the same time and now have their company that's very good, doing very well. Um, and then actually we're, I just sent a job offer today to one of my former coworkers at Postmates to come on and be our head of customer success. So lots of good things came out of that experience at Postmates. Oh, I love that. I also, you know, it seems really typical almost for a lot of people working in startups to have that entrepreneur spirit and end up going to create their own companies yeah, one day, definitely. which is so exciting. Definitely. Okay. So you did Podworks, which I love that concept. I love co-working spaces. I wish we could be in them today. I, I miss co-working spaces for sure. Yes. And you, and you ended up leaving Podworks at the time. Did you leave when you had the idea for Allaby? Um, No. So I actually had, had the idea while I was there. It really came out of what we were doing. So we had lots of in-person memberships, but actually our biggest seller was our virtual membership. And the reason for that is because moms sometimes don't have the capability to come in or they were working a different schedule. It just didn't work with their children's schedule. So they like to have the availability to pop in here and there um, during our Mm -hmm. open hours. But what they really wanted was just that online community of support to help build their businesses. Um, So I knew there was something there, plus the fact that our everybody there was referring each other and buying each other's goods and services and really helping each other to build their businesses. And I knew that we wanted to move back East to be closer to family. Um, and my husband got the opportunity. He then was working for Twitter and now still is. Um, and they let him go remote full time two years ago. And so at that point I was like, okay, let's speed this timeline up. What can I, you know, how can I take this to a different level and create um, what was Momentum Market and now is Allobe? Um, mm-hmm. And so I pitched actually the idea for the company for the first time almost three years ago at Seattle Startup Week for their future founders event. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pitch this. If people seem like they're at least halfway interested, I'm going to go all in on this idea. And so I pitched it and came in second place and people seemed to like the idea. So I was like, okay, let's do this. And I wrapped up all of, I was still doing a lot of freelancing and consulting even while we had the pod works um, because mm-hmm. pre- co-working space is not super profitable. Just throwing that out there. Um, great way to bring in new clients, but not super profitable. And so anyways, I 
I left, I'm still consult for them and support them so much. They actually have a second um, space that they just opened not that long ago as well. But um, after I pitched, I knew that's where I wanted to go and kind of bring in this tech startup and also bring in the elements that I didn't feel were in a lot of these startups that either I was consulting for or at Postmates um, and create a company culture that would kind of fit this new environment of um, women that wanted to build companies. I absolutely love it. I love how you're like, let me go pitch this in front of a ton of people to see if there's any interest to even like, should I continue this path where I feel like most people would be like, no, I'm not going to float my idea, especially not in that type of setting. Let me just work on it before, you know, more like hoard it a little bit. I I was telling somebody else the story earlier today and she was like, and how did you get back into speaking? And I was like, well, I actually, I just went and pitched to like this room of a thousand men, pretty much it was almost all guys. And I had literally just stopped nursing my second child like a week before. So I was like real emotional and everything. And I was like, I'm just going to do this. And then I thought I was going like third in the pitch competition and I ended up going first. And I was like, oh, I was like, literally, this is crazy. Um, And it was the first time I had done a pitch like that really ever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was totally out of my comfort zone. But our now chief operations officer met me after she saw the pitch and met me afterwards for a, a much needed margarita after that pitch. <laughs> so. I just, I love the boldness. I just love it. What was your vision? Like your very original ver- vision of Alibi? Yeah. So the original vision um, was going to be a marketplace of goods and services powered by moms. So that was our original pitch and very much a Fiverr and Upwork meets Etsy and that. And that's what I built. And so the the fun and crazy thing is when you're starting to start up, you will definitely not stick with what your original like full idea was. Um, we mm-hmm. very much still are powered by women that have left the workforce and the traditional nine to five. Um, so that part component is still there, but we ditched uh, products back in March. So we went into beta in November of 2019 and we learned a ton. Mm-hmm. We learned that why reinvent the internet? Etsy was working pretty darn well. So let's just leave it. Um, and literally as the pandemic was hitting, Amazon launched their like home or like whatever goods. So I was like, Mm -hmm. and we're done. (laughs) Like, let's do what we're good at too. And we were really good at services. And since I came from that background and freelancing and we were able to, to pivot. So we literally took our site that I had spent a long time creating this wonderful platform (laughs) that was Fiverr and Etsy merged into one and not an easy platform to build. And almost overnight, really like in a week, we flipped it and uh, changed just about everything. Um, And when we went live in May, we've been profitable ever since. So it was the right shift to make, but a crazy scary one, um, especially as a tech person to go, okay, I'm going to throw this away that I spent like six months building. Okay. Um, but it was what the, it was what our, you know, our beta was telling us, like they want this and, um, Mm -hmm. they want it to be more curated. They don't want it a Fiverr clone. They want something different. And so, 
I very quickly learned in that first year of running uh, the company that if I wasn't going to listen to feedback, we would fail. Um, and so we just constantly are listening to feedback. Yeah, I love that. Just listening to the customers, they typically tell you what they want is what I keep hearing. Yes, you have to listen. They will tell you very loudly what they want. (laughs) I love, I mean, I love it's a crazy wild ride, especially, you know, changing your whole platform. Do you have, do you, is that part of your personality, personality you think? Do you like that ambiguous, like the ups and downs kind of just figuring it out as you go? Do you enjoy that part? Um, You know, it's funny because I don't think like in real life, I actually like that. But in business, I do. I I think it's more so I'm really good at quickly iterating. So if I Mm -hmm. see there's an issue, I don't like to go very long with it being an issue. Um, And I think that you have to be of that mindset if you're going to run a startup, especially a startup that you want to scale quickly because even if you take three extra days, it could like really impact your business or really impact the direction of what you're needing to go towards. Um, so for me, I like to, we really operate in sprints at our company. Like we have a focus for that month. We act on it for three weeks and see what we've got in the fourth week. What do we need to change, iterate, and then move forward. Um, and so we've changed so much in the last year since we, almost year since we've been live. It's just a constant iteration. Um, but, but then I don't know if I feel that way, like in my normal life that I'm cool with, like constant change. Yes, a little more stable. <laughs> I know. I try. Luckily, like my, my family life is pretty darn stable. So that's good, I guess. Minus small children are not stable, but <laughs> yes, generally. When you first had the idea, who did you share it with? And were they, and whoever it was, were they generally supportive? Yeah. So we joke that this was the idea that stuck with my husband. So um, <laughs> me and my husband are like, honestly, best friends too. Uh, he is very intellectual and techie. So I can always run those, you know, my crazy ideas by him, but I have lots of ideas and this is my whole team can tell me this and everybody will agree. And my family, my mom, I've always had ideas. <laughs> um, and so I probably went through a period of ever since I left Postmates, but definitely like for two years that I was just like, idea, idea, try this idea, idea, try this. And nothing was really like sticking per se. And then when I had the idea for Momentum and now Alubi, it was just like, oh, this is the idea. Like everybody started going, oh, this, like you've got something here. Like this is actually something that um, would stick. So gosh knows how many times I've had conversations about, uh, about finality with my husband. We definitely now have a little bit more boundaries around it. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, okay, I need you to be my tech advisor for a minute here. And we try to like go into that or like, I just need to, you know, be upset about something for a second, but we try to try to have those boundaries there now, but yes, he has learned. He was the first one to know about it. And then after him, kind of the next person that heard a ton, obviously, was my my co-founder of the Podworks because I had talked a lot about it with her in the early days, Kayla. Um, and then also our 
now COO, um, which she didn't come on in the very beginning. Um, but when there was a, my former co-founder actually stepped away um, to do something else. And so uh, when there was an opening, it, I was literally mm-hmm. called Chloe and I was like, hey, I need to be in San Diego to like, we were actually launching our beta and, and pitching. I was like, gee, want to come along since you probably are the other person that knows the most about, you know, momentum at the time. And she was like, yeah. And can we talk about me coming on? And so that was just kind of how that, that ended up happening. Um, in that research, which I'm so thankful for, <laughs> but it's definitely, yeah. those are the kind of three people that heard a lot about Alibi in the early days. Okay. And Alibi was previously called momentum emphasizing on the mom aspect of it. Can you talk about deciding to name the business momentum and then renaming the company? Yes. So both of the ways that I came up with the with the names happened kind of almost the exact same. So um, my husband will never tell that he was the one that came up with both names, but he really did. Um, and in a weird way, more like texting in the nighttime, like, okay, does this go along with this? Well, how do we figure out this? So the original idea was something around moments of giving back your time. And like, we were going to give you a platform that would, you know, give you more moments in your life, but we're like moment people, a lot, there was a lot of people that had the, the concept, um, it mm-hmm. didn't exactly fit what I was wanting. And then I was like, oh, but we help them to create momentum too. And so that's where the name kind of just started to, to come from. And then mom being in momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the first name came from. Uh, but then when we needed, we realized so many people have m- the name momentum and so many people in North Carolina do like 30 mile radius, 40 companies have the name wow. momentum. Um, so that was bad, uh, especially for search engine optimization. So, um, once our chief strategy officer came on in March and we went live, we were just like, we need to change this. Like it isn't working. And we had shifted away from being really markety with marketplace with, uh, goods and services to now just services. And, um, we knew we were wanting to scale the company. So, we went back to the drawing board, but I wanted a name that really had a good meaning behind it um, still. And so it's, it's such a cool, such a cool name. I really loved the concept. I was looking into like just different concepts and names and all kinds of stuff. And I stumbled upon the idea of aloe parenting or aloe mothering, which is what elephants do when um, an elephant mama has a baby, the whole herd of elephants takes care of that baby as the mom recovers. And then they, where you get the concept that elephants never forget, that's where they remember the baby's face. And then as they grow up, they keep remembering them. And so we really look at it at Alubi as we're helping businesses from infancy to growth and anywhere in between. So whether you go away for a while and then you come back, we're never going to forget you and we'll help support you along your way. Um, and then we would have just gone with Aloe, but Google owns the name Aloe. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't do that. Um, and so then we went with uh, B because I really like bees. Actually, I have a bee shirt now. Everybody gives me bee stuff, so be careful what you need. I like it. <laughs> but uh, so, anyways, bees. Um, and really, we're an underestimated workforce of women that have left the traditional nine to five. Uh, bees are very underestimated, but so powerful. 
Um, and so mm-hmm. we really look at it as our individual worker bees work together to build a business hive for our clients. So that's where the name Alibi came from. No one has the name Alibi. No one owned the domains. No one had the social media. So we took it all for $8 and 88 cents. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so yes, that's my story. And uh, a really random side note, I always made fun of Uber's um, original slide decks that were like traction, dot domain, uber.com. And that was like their only traction and they raised a million dollars. I was like, yeah. that's not cool. But then when I was trying to find a domain and like a name, I was like, okay, Uber, you win. Like that's fine because it took, so I'm very proud of our $8 and 88 cents domain. <laughs> I, I'm very proud of you guys too. I love the connection. I didn't know it. Uh, I hope people are giving you elephant things as well because of aloe. I mean, I it, love it. It started once people knew, knew about the name more. Yes. Elephant and bees. That's like the thing. So my sister keeps telling me I need a tattoo that's like an elephant and a bee. And I was like, that's like an odd, like, yeah, like but one day maybe. <laughs> yeah. If she can get like the concept yes. figured out. <laughs> yes. One day we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. And then I kind of really want to get into the nitty gritty of like taking your idea into what it is today, a full tech company. A lot of people have a lot of ideas and most people don't create traction with their ideas and bringing it to um, fruition. Can you tell me like some of the very first steps that you took to help build your company? Ooh, yes. Um, I know that's a lot. No, 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 no. no. It's a great question though. Um, So early on um, when I first was crazy enough to go pitch at, you know, Seattle Startup Week, I spent probably, so I pitched in the beginning of November of that year, I started really working on it in September of that year. Um, so two months before, before that pitch, I had had the idea for, you know, marinating for like six Mm -hmm. months, but it was just really still like, okay, what can I really do? And the first concept of it actually was not anywhere where I was not dreaming big enough. That is the ultimate thing. I was like, okay, I ran almost an agency myself when I was freelancing. Okay. So it was originally going to be hire a mama and it was going to just be a big agency with a whole bunch of different services. And then I realized quickly, I was like, there's so much more to this. Like, this isn't really what I want to do. I want this to be a tech company. I want to build a platform with it. And so I just started researching a lot about the space, like a ton about competitors and what was going on and really found out that ever since Upwork had IPO, that they were focusing so much on Fortune 500 companies and really all of these freelancing platforms were not actually targeting small business owners and early stage startup founders and like solo entrepreneurs. There was really this huge white space in that area. So that's my biggest is like, just research the heck out of your idea. And you'll realize that either you're dreaming too little on your idea and there's way more there, um, or you'll see that, okay, someone's already doing this. So unless I can figure out, it's okay if you do something in the same space, like I'm taking on Upwork and Fiverr, you know, um, but there's a massive white space that's not being connected with, um, and we're doing mm-hmm. it a, quite a bit different. So you try to find out what your real differentiators are with your idea. Is it 
someone's probably doing it, but how are you going to do it differently? And is there a big enough market size there? So I really knew that before ever pitching it outside of my, my head or my family. I knew that there was a big market opportunity there. And when you're looking at millions and billions of market opportunity, you're looking at, do I go all in for a startup or is that not what I want to do? So you can't, you've got to look at what the scalability is for your idea pretty early on and do kind of that market analysis to kind of see where you're, you're looking at. It doesn't have to be perfect or anything like that, but you need to know that if you're talking about it to somebody and you want it to be a startup, like, is this a billion dollar company? Can it be? Do you have proof that it can be? So at the early days, I was like, well, Etsy's proof and Fiverr's (laughs) proof. So there was proof, like no, everybody knew that like, that was a concept that could, could go somewhere. It was just, how was I going to, to do it? That was the Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the question I think ever a lot of people have in their minds. Yes, for their ideas, you know know how you're going to do it. It's going to change quite a bit over time. Yeah. Um. But yes, it's really just like doing that analysis, find that out, and then as soon as you can talk to custom potential customers, talk to them. I had a Mm -hmm. bit of an advantage because I had freelanced for so long and then built a brick and mortar and gone that direction and worked with so many small business owners. So. I had been doing market research for like five, six years, which was great that, and I also knew nonprofits. And so I had kind of had that experience. And so supply for us was really easy because I was like, I know what freelancers need. I know they want to do this. They want to be a place where we market them and they don't have to do it. Like we, I know. So supply was a really easy endeavor for us in the, at the beginning. You recently just raised $500,000 in a funding round, which is incredible. Congratulations on that. Can you talk about raising capital for the company? You know, like uh, it it seems so intimidating to me to get up and pitch, you know, my idea to a group of typical, typically men. And you do have such a female uh, vision with your company. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how you learned how to pitch, like maybe a mis- like mistakes you made to create a better pitch, just yeah. what that's like? Yeah. So I, my best advice for pitching is just talk about your company all the time to everybody, whoever will listen. It doesn't matter who it is. So you get comfortable with talking about your idea and mm-hmm. you're going to hear people's feedback there and go, wait, what, what does that do? How does that work? And then you can really adapt your pitch. But what we did, um, so first I'll talk about pitching and then I'll talk about raising because they're honestly so different. So pitching wise, when we set up what we, so originally we were going to start raising in March um, and then the pandemic (laughs) hit. So I literally went to New York to go pitch for a week. Um, I had an event that I was going to that Rebecca Minkoff, uh, the fashion designer was running and I had a bunch Mm -hmm. of meetings set up did all those meetings and then flew back home and everything shut down. So I knew that that was probably not the best time to raise money. Luckily for me at the exact same time, I ended up signing on our chief strategy officer Ann English who lives in Raleigh because I had met with her for the month before quite a few times and she was really, Mm -hmm. and she also invested in the company. And so I started off the pandemic on a high with getting our first investor and knowing that, okay, someone believes in me enough that we're going to get money. A female 
that wanted to also join our team for equity, like come on and like support us. And that was insane amount of momentum to help me move forward during that time. Because gosh, like that was, it was like, okay, what are we going to do? Um, and I talked to so many founders about that, like two week period of time, mid March, when everything went crazy, it was like, okay, we either need to get real gritty and make it through this year, use it as an opportunity, or we're like, we just got to pause. So I was like, we're going to use this as an opportunity. This is the year that like, we're going to learn so much about our clients. We're going to learn so much. And so we moved forward. Um, we did push off our main launch for the company until May from, we were supposed to launch in March. So we moved to May. Mm-hmm. Glad we did that. <laughs> but then we also were like, okay, we're going to take the summer, gain as much traction as we possibly can during the summer and then start pitching in August. So we set up calls for August that were very friendly with people that we weren't we didn't think would probably invest, but people around the triangle that we knew, uh, Lewis Sheets, who runs entrepreneurship stuff at NC State, Mm -hmm. um, Jan Davis, who's just like, everybody knows her here in the community, just a bunch of people that we were like, okay, we feel good about that are going to give us good feedback. And that was so important. So we spent all of August pretty much just pitching to people to give us feedback. We changed our pitch deck like 30 bazillion times during that, during that month um, and really refined our pitch. And it's also learning to pitch on Zoom was a new endeavor. Um, I'm really comfortable with Zoom because we I've been using it for years because I was always freelancing virtually. Yeah. But pitching with two people and then talking to investors and just getting your groove down and then trying to make it as quick of a process with each, you know, investor to find out that information. I know that I'm not as good at like closing that deal and getting all those like specifics, but Anne really is. So being able to have that, I tell the vision and the story and the tech side and her having that perspective really was essential in our pitches. Um, And so then we pitched um, hardcore in September to people that we wanted to invest. Um, Within three weeks, we had half of our raise closed um, and we got that money in the bank right away. And so that was great and felt so good. And like, hey, we've hit half of it. Um, And then you hit a little bit of a lull in it. And then we were able to get more momentum and uh, bring it and close it out. We actually closed it out before the end of the year, but we had just announced in January. But um, so that's pitching. Definitely Mm -hmm. like pitch a ton of times before you're actually asking people for the money. It's people will give you way different feedback um, than if you're like, I need money. Um, Mm -hmm. We just ask, like, can we do a sample pitch with you like to get feedback? And we ask all kinds of different people. So that was really helpful. Um, We felt much better about it as as time went on. And then (laughs) finding angel investors. I don't have like wealthy friends and a rich <laughs> network. Like I don't. And so an angel round was scary for me initially. I was like, I don't know who we're going to talk to. Like this is going to be hard, uh, but find people that are on your team that do have, and had a really good, she has an MBA from Dartmouth. She has a really good network. And so we were able to tap into that network. I still had to bring it and convince people, um, but we were able to tap into that network for some of it. And then 
literally our lead investor. And this is why I just like always tell people to just ask and just put yourself out there. I literally sent a relatively cold email to someone I know um, in Portland and said, hey, do you happen to know any investors? It was a total long shot. Like I send this a lot of emails to people, total long shot. And she was like, oh, actually I do. And they just opened up a fund. And I was like, oh, great. Can you like connect me? Um, And so she connects me. We had one call with uh, Emily, who is part of the fund. It's three founders that sold their companies started a fund. And then we had one more call and they invested in us right then and they closed out our round. And so I was like, okay, great. We finally did it. But it was uh, super crazy. And then at that point we had tons of FOMO of people missing out and we get calls almost every day asking, can we just get into your round? I'm like, we already closed. Thanks though. <laughs> like we'll keep you in contact for, you know, our next round. But it was, it was a long process. Uh, definitely you need to plan that you're going to be out of the loop while you're raising, but traction is essential, especially for a female founder. It sucks that that's the situation that males can raise on an idea a lot of times. Yes. It, it, it sucks, but it's finding people that, I mean, that just are behind the vision of it. We actually have mm-hmm. mostly male investors. Um, and so they saw the potential of it as a billion dollar company. They saw the potential of it helping all these different spaces. And then our female founders are like really smart that have sold companies and they're like, okay, like you have the grit to get this done. I'm going to invest in it. Uh, it's so mm-hmm. much of an early idea, even with your traction that that's happening. Um, but just showing them that you have your financial model, you know, in line that you've done it, like that you've like, mm-hmm. put in it, put the work in. Um, and just showing that you're you're together enough to to move forward with the vision and bring people on if you can get them behind the idea, you know, just as much as you can do um, to prove to them that you're worthy of them giving you money. But then it's a whole new ride when you've got the money. It's, it's a whole new ride in good and bad ways too. So I love the strategy of you know, just sample pitching, um, refine that pitch and hear it from someone without even asking for money yet, uh, which I agree. It probably very much changes the response you get. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys, you have the money now. Are you already planning for the next, uh, fundraising round two? Yeah. Uh That's how it works. Yeah. You kind of have to be, I mean, and that you're like investors asked during those pitches, like, are you planning to raise a series A? Like, is that your next plan? Um, because someone invest if you're not. Uh, and so we, we knew we were, so we asked for, basically we have a 12 month runway for this. Uh, we were lucky because we were profitable and have a really low overhead. So, um, Mm -hmm. we could go on a lot longer than the 12 months and we technically didn't have to raise when we did, but if we wanted to scale at the, at the rate that we want to, we needed to raise. And so, yes, we will be back at those practice pitches in Q3 of this year, um, which is just crazy to, to think about. So I'm enjoying the non-pitch time where we're at right now. So right now we're very much, we have two uh, new t- full-time team members coming on in February and 
Um, we've upped our paid advertising and all of that. We're trying to spend the money. Now it's like spend the money um, to prove that you need it and get the traction that you that you are hoping to get from it. But, but things change so much. I mean, even the things that we pitched on in the fall of like what we thought our goals and metrics would be for going into this year have already changed, you know, just in a mm-hmm. short period of time. But once you take on money, then you're, you know, responsible for more stuff and more people at that point. Yeah. And so what does your marketing strategy look like right now? It's a good question. So we started, I mean, we were very, uh, very thrifty and uh, organic marketing focused, um, obviously, until we raised. Now we do have paid advertising for Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Google now um, that we're doing. So we just started doing that in January um, and trying to target. We have very different audiences in in some respects. Our clients are from every different background. We have restaurant owners. We have um, venture capitalists. We have uh, fashion design. Literally, we have everybody. But they all struggle with the exact same things. They're time poor. Mm -hmm. They have decision fatigue. They want a team that's helping to support them. um, And they really want to be able to outsource sustainably on their own uh, on their own timeline um, and budget. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to target and we've had to get, you know, a little bit creative with how we're doing that, but that's our main focus right now is some paid advertising. We also are about to bring on, um, a social media marketing person, um, that will kind of take the lead there. Our podcast has always been something that's been wonderful for us to continue with lead generation. Um, and then I do a ton of speaking gigs. So that's another thing. I talk to everybody all the time. I love it. What are, what are some of the first roles you hired? Yeah. So our first role that we sent an offer out for, um, so we have our chief operations officer and chief strategy officer that are both equity working for equity. Thank the Lord. They're amazing. Uh, but so our leadership team is all not paid right now. Um, but then we have our first hire was, um, for our chief scientist and lead engineer, uh, Nikki, she's actually a graduate of NC State for, she just graduated with her PhD in machine learning and data science. And so we're bringing her on because we have lots of fun ideas um, for kind of under the iceberg of the next step for Allobe. So we definitely will always be what we are now, but we have a whole bunch of other great things to continually make internal tools that will help support small businesses um, and really utilize all the data that we're, we're gathering from all of our clients that we're working with. So she's coming on um, also to let me not do all the development. She'll be leading our, our dev team. We have a, a, a dev team that we partner with um, to use for some work that we'll continue to. They're part of our actually expert network. So it's a female dev team that we adore. Um, and so we work with them and we work with our own experts, which is really nice. So that's why we've been able to have such a low overhead because we can bring people in for projects when we need, but then also not have them on uh, full time. Um, and then we also are bringing on a head of customer success and HR because we're growing. And even though we have a small full-time team, we have a very large workforce um, that we need support with as well. But our operations team is kind of at their limit for that. So those are our Mm -hmm. two first hires. um, And then we'll be hiring some more throughout the year. That's so exciting. And you, how do you now today keep um, finding freelancers? 
Has that ever been a problem to maintain? So it really, originally we had really great supply. I would say it's still pretty good. Every time I do a speaking gig or we get press, we get a huge influx of applications, but we do a very thorough vetting process. So sometimes people don't make it through the vetting process. Um, At least a little bit of every bunch do not. Uh, We also do a pretty good job of partnering with different organizations that um, either have groups of uh, virtual assistants or copywriters, or now we're really targeting more higher level marketing people and even groups of CMOs and CFOs. And so going to those groups to get massive amount of people at one time, instead of trying to do one off. Um, Once a quarter, we post on LinkedIn about our jobs um, for the categories that we need more people in. Uh, but that's pretty much what our strategy is currently and still working pretty well for us. Can you talk about how Alibi works for someone interested in using one of your services for their business as a business owner? Can you walk us through what it would look like? Yeah, for sure. So it's pretty simple. We try to make it the least amount of overwhelm as possible. Um, You literally can go to our site and purchase any of our flat rate services today, right now. It's just like an e-commerce where you would check out. So you want a virtual assistant for 10 hour package, go purchase it and check out. And then our algorithm connects you with the person that is next in line, the most qualified for your job. So you're going to fill out a little survey before you check out that lets us know all the skill sets that you need for um, the person, what industry you're in, um, your communication style. We ask you quite a few different things. Um, and then we try to place you with the best person. Um, on our end, if it spits out two people, then we do a quality control that allows us to look further at it. If it's a project that involves design work or copywriting, um, we do uh, let you view the um, samples of work from the expert that our algorithm connects you with. So mm-hmm. once we have that, we will let you view. If it's not a good fit, we'll go ahead and send you another option. And then we have a rematch guarantee. So if at any time you are not satisfied with the expert that you are working with, we will immediately rematch you with somebody else. So you don't have to go lose time and hassle and everything. You don't have to even have a, a original call again or fill out anything else because we already have all of that information. So once you're connected, then uh, at that point, you have an initial call with your expert that you're assigned to and um, get the project rolling. So we define your full project scope and set milestones for you. And what we find with a lot of our clients in small business and even startups and entrepreneurs that they don't manage their projects super great. So we help you do that. And that's just part of our platform. Um, so we run the project for you. We have um, lots of quality control and touch points to just make sure that your project is going well throughout um, and that the milestones are getting hit and that you're not left in the dust or left you know, worrying about it. Um, you get assigned an account manager. So we really treat you like a corporate client, even though you are likely not in corporate America. And so um, we really have lots of touch points and curate that experience for you. Um, And then 
literally at the end, if you're happy with your, your service, once it's been completed, that's when the expert is paid out. So we hold that money in escrow um, to make sure you're satisfied until the end of the project. And it's really a win-win for everybody, for our experts and for our clients, because we're that mediator. We handle the payment processing, the project management, any problems mm-hmm. that arise. And so you contract with us. So not our experts contract with us and our clients contract with us. So that's how we, we operate at Alibi, a very curated experience to um, your freelancing needs. Sounds like you have plenty of safety nets almost included into that. I'm like, I'm probably, my team probably hates me because I'm like, okay, well, we're going to second this. And every time we, we really approached Alibi as we built it, especially after we learned from beta that we will always start with human touch points. And mm-hmm. as we learn from our human touch points where we can automate, then we automate. So certain parts of our system are very automated and it's just that that's how we're able to do it. Um, But as different elements get added, we learn more data, learn more elements, we're able to iterate and change and automate or make more human touch points. Did you maybe gain that insight from your experience, maybe some pain points when you were a freelancer? Yes, very much so. Working with, you know, small yeah, business owners. Yeah. And vice versa, because I worked with a lot of freelancers too. And a lot of times, like, either the communication wasn't very great, uh, just with, like, they were under-communicating instead of over-communicating. I was lost on where we were in the process, or if I was working, uh, a lot of the idea of Alibi 2 came from when I was working subcontracting with uh, different freelancers and working on a big project. So maybe I was doing the website design, but I had a graphic designer and a marketing expert and all of that. And everybody was not on the same page. And so I wanted everybody on the same page and working on the same timeline. And I had come from working on these bigger projects with bigger companies and, and bigger startups. And so I was like, no, you guys can gain a lot from like using Asana to work on your project. So let's do that and let's bring everybody in. Um, and then we get a lot more efficient and faster closes for the projects too. And people can move on to their next project. What are the most sought after services right now for you guys? Yeah, our technical assistant is one of our best sellers. It really is kind of an all-encompassing. If you are dealing with getting systems set up for your business or you need a few tweaks on your website or you've been Googling or watching YouTube videos about how to fix something and you just can't and it's too technical for you, um, our tech assistants can jump in and help support you with that. And you can get a package from 10 hours that's like 450 all the way up to like 80 hours and Um, That's a really big seller for us. Another one is podcast editing and podcast launching. A lot of people want to launch podcasts and um, especially outsource the editing. It's super affordable too Mm -hmm. with the headache that you're dealing with. with I need to look into it. (laughs) (laughs) And it really, we, we have three different levels to kind of whatever you want to outsource of it and what you do like doing. That's what I love about my podcast. I literally just turn it over to my editor and she does the rest. I don't, it just shows up magically and it's all good. Um, I know it really, it's really helpful. Um, So that's a huge seller for us. Uh, And then also marketing assistance, um, people kind of need a catch all. So maybe they want a little bit of social media help, but they also need help with their email marketing. And so we really are there to help support through 
kind of every little area um, that doesn't always fit into a specific service that another platform would be offering. So those are kind of our three. We also have really big app development projects and really large website design services as well. Um, and branding, we have all of it at, at Allobee. So we can really help you with anything. And most of our clients are like, start with one thing and they're like, oh, you can do this, this, this. Okay, great. And let me just add all of these things um, since we do handle the whole project for them. Sounds so nice. <laughs> uh, starting a business is incredibly risky, incredibly scary at times. Have you, do you ever get nervous? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, it's funny. I'm so not like a spontaneous risk taker person, like in my life, like at all, like zero. Um, I'm not that person, uh, but I feel like I am more in, in my business, but now I have a lot of people that are like reporting to me and are in need to get paid and um, yeah. are now investors too. And so that very much did not like, I didn't take that uh, lightly this year, especially um, and even last year, like so many of our experts, like either their spouse lost their job or they lost their job and, um, or they had to quit because they were doing homeschool for their kids because no one was in school and just the, mm -hmm. the impact. And so I don't let that go a day by without thinking about how I need to show up for them too. So it is, it's stressful and it's not, not for the faint of heart to be a founder. But I just try to every day take the time to focus on our mission and our vision for what we're trying to do um, and making sure that we're hitting that. And it, it's hard, though. I mean, it is definitely not an easy, easy thing to do, because especially in the service industry, because we uh, even though we're not I'm not completing the services for my, you know, for our clients we cannot make our clients mad. We cannot, you know, we cannot mm -hmm. fail on any, any, any area. Um, and that is extremely, you know, stressful to deal with, but it's something that you need to have a good team around you um, and a really good support network. And I'm really lucky. I know I talked about my husband before. He's, he's always like, don't talk about me on things. No, but I love it. I'm you guys like, sound hey, seem to have an amazing relationship. <laughs> we we do, and I mean, I I was, I mean, you probably listened to my my first podcast. I was in a really bad marriage before, um, and so I'm really lucky for the relationship then and now. But he is super supportive. Like yesterday, I yes. like straight up had a bad day um, with everything, and I was like. Um, and he's just like, what do you need? And like this morning, I'm like, I need you to take the kids to school because I need to jump on an eight o'clock call. And I mean, it's just, you've got to have somebody supportive in your life, whether it's your spouse or a friend or whoever it is um, to help you get through all of that. Um, and then the other major thing is think goodness, our kids are in private Montessori this year because they have actually been at school. So that's the only reason I would be raised funding. I'm convinced is because my kids are in school. So can you talk about what your typical day looks like? Yes. So I really try to get almost all of my work done <clears throat> between about nine o'clock and 2.30 because um, I usually am the one that's picking up the kids in the afternoon. Uh, we usually trade off and, and try to go back and forth, but I'm usually the one doing that. So I have to pack a lot, like all my calls, all my meetings into that time. And 
then I like to be present for my kids in the morning to get, plus it's just chaotic getting children ready for school. So like morning and then evening, um, they come home and I usually can get another while they're just chilling for a minute and having a snack, usually wrap up emails and check in, um, from about three 30 until four 30. And then it's dinner and get the kids ready for bath and bed. And then I do almost always from about seven 30 until nine, get back on and, and do end up working on something during that time. I have to be pretty diligent every other Friday, I completely block off to do like deep work for something that like we need to solve or like come up with an idea for something. Um, I very much as much as I iterate quickly and can move quickly into things, I need like a big space and time to come up with like the good big visionary ideas for the company. And so I block that off. It's every other Monday and every other Friday that I do that. Mm -hmm. But that's usually my day on repeat during <laughs> during the pandemic. It's funny. I we used to work out of American Underground before the pandemic, and yeah, I miss it because you like get up, you're gonna go get some coffee, go talk to people, and here I'm like zoom, 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 or like meeting, meeting, or answer to Slack. You know? I know, it's crazy. I work way more, I'm sure, during this time than I. Oh, did I am 100 sure. <laughs> I, I love how you block yeah. your schedule into those you have breaks too, which I think are really important that you don't typically see in a normal work day. Yes. You, I feel like, especially as an entrepreneur and a founder, you're going to literally be on call all the time. Like, I mean, all the time, literally. And so we are really big. We set some big boundaries as a company that like our experts don't work on the weekend unless they've like, are working on a, um, a rush project that has been, or they've agreed to it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like we make a big deal about that. Um, and we also, as a leadership team, we do, our goal is to not work on the weekend, except we have, but all three of us kind of have our own schedule of where we work on something in the early morning, one of the days, mm -hmm. but that's all we do. And then we all touch back in after five o'clock on Sunday to be ready for Monday. It's just kind of our process, but we are really big about keeping our time to relax on Saturday and Sunday. And I think that that has been super essential, especially during the pandemic to like, just know we're not. And like our clients know they get an automated email, like, Hey, we're out of office until Monday. So like, just letting you know, if you, if you buy from us, you'll get assigned on Monday. Um, and that's just the thing. I love that. I love the separation. I feel like so many right now in the pandemic are not having that since they work from home. No, no. What is the most rewarding aspect of owning Allaby being the founder and CEO? Oh, that's two part. Um, getting to see our clients' businesses just like blow up even during a pandemic, seeing their small wins and big wins is just, I mean, that's what keeps me going because that's what I wanted. Um, and then also for our experts, not as much about getting them paid. I love payday, pays on Friday. It's always so great. I'm like, yay, money to all people. But it also it's just so amazing to see the community that they've built with like a very organically. I don't think I can only take credit that I set it up, but they are like, someone has a question on a project and everybody jumps in to help support each other. And they've just built this 
online workforce, really, that's like, let me help be your mentor, let me feed into you, but in a sustainable, not so stressful way. Um, And it's just great. They all know each other and they support us and they're our biggest Mm -hmm. advocates um, and oftentimes become our clients too as their businesses grow. I love that. I love the community aspect too of everything. On the flip side, what is the hardest part for you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think the hardest part for me is now learning how to be a CEO of a company at scale. I mean, we Mm -hmm. went from literally a year ago from just me and Chloe being on our COO to now having like five full, you know, full-time staff and over 200 experts and investors and all of that. And so just needing to also make space and time to feed into me being a leader. So I am a really big reader. I love to read. So every weekend I have a book that I read over the weekend. And I, during the week, read non or fiction during the week, I read fiction before I go to bed and I never read nonfiction because I'm like, (laughs) no people, I don't want to learn. But over the weekend, I pick something that we're struggling with as a company that we need to do. So over the Christmas break, I read like three books on customer service. So we could be amazing at it. Um, but just, you know, I've tried every time I'm trying to do something for me as a leader and I'm like now have working with a coach about some stuff, but it's just, that's the hardest, I think, because so many people are depending upon me and I'm still wearing all the hats at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. We are, a year into the pandemic, you guys launched in the pandemic, which is crazy, um, but so exciting. Yeah. How, do you think the pandemic will affect the workplace forever you know, in the future once we're out of it? Yeah, I do. I think if things are back to normal now, it might not have affected it as much, but going into the second year of this and not really knowing when the end is you know, in sight, and so many companies having already made massive shifts. So, I mean, we're seeing companies that never would have considered remote workers mm-hmm. um, to us asking for remote workers. And it that's a huge mindset shift that, that occurred. And right about June or July of last year, um, I saw this like big collision of like, online business world and corporate world coming into like a head and realizing that both exist one like oh hello like I didn't realize (laughs) um having been in both of those spaces and in tech like seeing that kind of oh we're all kind of on the same level playing field right now but oh wow you've been online and like actually understand online marketing and business for a long time. What can I learn from you? What are you doing? It was just very interesting, like uh, dynamics that were happening. And I also saw like all of my friends that do co-working space, all of our co-working spaces fall apart and the world just completely changed. And I didn't exactly intend to be a remote company. Um, when we first started, I always thought we would be kind of like a hybrid because I knew we'd have people all over, but I kind of wanted a not in-person space, but now I can see like 
even if we do have part of us in person, it, how much it would impact our whole culture as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. So it's going to be really hard for companies to figure out, like people are going to demand being remote. And then how do they merge that culture? So I think there needs to be way more emphasis upon human relations and um, culture building in a company because it is hard. Like it, we are really lucky we're small right now, but I can just see as we're growing, just all the things we need to be mindful of. And that's one of the reasons we're bringing somebody on right now for customer success and HR, because we need that to not fail because it is hard Mm -hmm. to be a a remote company. And all of these companies are going to need to figure out how to do both. Yeah. I, I, I think it will be really interesting to see how we, they adapt, especially corporate America Mm -hmm. when we are able to come back into workplaces. Yeah. And I think with, with corporate, sorry to, to see this, but I, a lot of times, like we all, everybody says like, you know, and in corporate America and in corporate America, but the majority of the workforce is not in corporate America. Um, and we are, are forgetting that often as one of the reasons I, I built Hello Be Too, because I was like, no one's paying attention to everybody else in the, in the world. Um, and everything is based off of what corporate America or building services for corporate America. Get that. There's a lot of people there, but um, at the same time, how are we going to like our doctor's visits going to stay telehealth, you know, like are all of these, I I was joking with my friend that's pregnant. I'm like, I really wish I could have had telehealth for all of those annoying pregnancy visits that you have to just go and there's nothing to do, but they go, yeah, you're fine. Okay, great. Bye. (laughs) And you like had to sit in the waiting room for an hour pregnant and not happy. And so just, I'm interested to see how all of these non-corporate America, like how will education completely and utterly shift after this? And so there's just so much more than, than what's out there. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Where do you hope Allobee is in three years? In three years, I hope we're approaching either someone buying us out or getting closer to, you know, being able to continue to scale towards an IPO. Um, I mean, I very much, when I decided we wanted to go from bootstrapping to uh, bringing on fun, excuse me, funding, I knew that it was either go big or go home. You've got to make that, that shift in your mindset, which is a very scary shift to make because you lose a lot mm-hmm. of control, not just literally in your you know cap table, but also just control of, wow, we're going to go really, really quick right now. And that's what it's going to be. And it's not a normal you know growth of a company um, when you want to scale that fast. And so I really hope that one, we're international at, at, within three years, we, we should be based off of what we're, our plan is. We already have a few international clients, but going international, I hope that we have a nice size team of, of, you know, around 20 or more, you know, employees and that our workforce is over a thousand people rocking it all over the world and just, you know, really helping to grow these, these businesses and just so what we're doing at its core, but on a lot bigger and better scale. I love it. I love the mission. I love everything you're doing. I just have a few final (laughs) rapid kind of questions. Okay, perfect. What did you want to be as a kid? <laughs> a Broadway actress and the president. I love it. Yeah. Very similar, actually. Yes. 
Are you an introvert or extrovert? I am literally on the axis there of both. So um, I and my parents are exact opposite. So my dad is very much an introvert and my mom is very much um, an extrovert. So I think I just like fell in the middle after that. Um, I've discovered my introverted side way more as an adult though. Um, and where I need that time, like just give me some moments, let me be quiet in my own space. And I can only go, but for so long on lots of calls with people, I'm like, I'm done. Thank you. Like I need a moment. So very much on that, but I can show up and be very extroverted when I, when I need to be as well. How do you like to spend your free time? Um, reading or out in nature. So that in reading with like a cup of tea or coffee, I also am a pretty big coffee snob. So always coffee. What skills or strengths of yours would you say has helped you the most throughout your journey? Definitely my grit. You just have to have it. If you want to be a founder, it's just, and it really just that. And people relationship building, I'm really good at building relationships with people and just being constantly doing that and without even really thinking about it. And so that's really helped me to continue to, um, you know, bring about good networking opportunities for us at LOB and for myself. And um, also just, I don't, I got over caring about what other people think and anything around that, especially after going through a really bad phase of my life. So I was just like, that did not serve me well and any shame or, anything around it didn't help me. So Mm -hmm. I was like, screw it. We're just going to go in the opposite direction. So, um, now I'm like, what do I have to lose? It is always kind of my, my approach, um, which has definitely helped as, as building a company. What advice would you give someone who wants to start a tech company? (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Um, make sure that whatever it is, you're behind the mission for it. Like you are truly behind it because it's a lot of work. Like it's not something to start lightly. And if you don't believe in it deeply, you're not going to make it to the finish line. And can you give us a book fiction or nonfiction that you would recommend? Oh, oh, you know, I'm going to do non or fiction today because I, I always, love do, always do nonfiction. <laughs> I just finished reading Transcendent Kingdom and okay. it is so good. Like it was very different than a lot. I honestly, during the pandemic, read a lot of like just mindless, like beach read up here. If you want another, just like I, that's all I oh read. God, it's so good. So yes, I'm usually <laughs> that, but, um, a lot of people recommended Transcendent Kingdom. And so I read that recently. It's just a very interesting book about race and family and all of the things that go into it and just really cool. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good one um, for sure this year that I read. Oh, I love it. Brooke, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and empowering so many moms and women with Alibi. Yes, thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brooke please leave a comment or rating below and let me know who you'd like to hear from next.